everyone, and welcome to this week's Title Now pop-up webinar. I'm Melissa Murphy with The Fund, and we have started doing these weekly pop-up webinars to just talk about things of interest to fund members and anyone else who wants to tune in. The pandemic has certainly um, remained a constant theme of these uh, weekly webinars, and this week is really no exception. Uh, it has changed the practice of real estate law, but real estate is not the only area of practice that the pandemic has affected. It has affected the practice of law in general. But this week, we are gonna talk about how it has affected estate planning practices and probate practices. The connection between real estate practices and estate planning and probate practices is a very, very close one, is a very, very tight one. A lot of fund members practice in both areas. A lot of title issues are related to probate and estate planning. And many fund members are part of a larger firm in which there's a real estate department and a probate or an estate planning department. And then look at the real property probate and trust law section. Just by its name, you can see how a large group of attorneys feel like those areas of practice, real property, probate, and trust law, are so uh, entwined in each other and affect each other that the section has remained that section for over 50 years and is still the largest section of the Florida Bar. And that's been the case because it just makes sense. So my guests today are Laird Lyle and Sandy Diamond. I have known Laird and Sandy for a long time. Uh, primarily based on our involvement in the reptile section. But I didn't invite Sandy and Lair just because we are good friends. Oh, no. They are both prior chairs of the section, and they are both fairly long-tenured um, attorneys on your Florida Bar Board of Governors. So Sandy and Laird have always exhibited their leadership qualities uh, on behalf of the profession. And they also have thriving estate planning practices, hence the invitation. So welcome, Laird and Sandy. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for asking us to come. You Thanks bet. Here. You bet. And Laird, it, it, funny story about Laird, because his office in Naples uh, used to be right across the hallway from the fund branch in Naples. So I would go down and visit Laird, I mean, visit the branch and I could walk across the hall and try to get in to see Laird. Sometimes I had to go through multiple layers of, of people that he had there. But nevertheless, it was a great opportunity to visit Laird when I was at the branch. So I would like for you all to both just talk briefly, you know, about what kinds of practices do you all have? Uh, Sandy's in St. Petersburg. Why don't we start with you? Well, I have, as you said, an estate planning, probate, um, and trust law practice. And we're pretty much, we're a three attorney firm. And um, my son, Ben, practices with me. And so he does the mostly the probate litigation. We have um, a tax attorney who practices with us. So we, we, we try to stay in our lane. And we do a lot of estate planning. And that means a lot of... Um, uh, 
um, administration for both probate and trust administration and um, a fair amount of litigation related to those matters at this time. All right. So that's pretty much the scope of our practice. And, layer. and that's pretty much the scope of my practice. Uh, not as much litigation these days in terms of representing parties, but a fair amount of expert witness work. But bread and butter, though, of course, the run of the mill, uh, typical days and weeks are preparing documents, counseling clients about estate planning, and then administering estates and trusts. And Laird, you're a sole practitioner, yeah? I am. So how has the pandemic changed your practices? Um, that presumes that it has. I'm going to assume it has. So talk with us about how it's changed your practices, both how you interact with clients, how you communicate with clients, how you get documents signed. Uh, talk with us about that. Um, Sandy, we'll start with you. Well, you know, we had a week, about a week, like everyone else, where we suddenly realized that we were going to have a shutdown very quickly. And um, we made the determination that we are all going to work remotely. We designated um, Ben as the youngest and I guess the guy to be the only in-office attorney who would um, open the mail, hopefully get the checks, put them in the bank account. <laughs> <laughs> and um, do some things like that and work in the office. The rest of us dispersed and scurried to, you know, um, begin to use the remote systems that we had never really liked using before suddenly became very important. We did in that first week things like drop shipping extra monitors. I know Laird works with four monitors in his office. I only have two monitors but my computer at home only has one monitor. So my system, you know, had to be reconfigured pretty quickly. Uh, I think we did that in, in a fairly short amount of time. And um, so we have all been working remotely, dealing with our clients by Zoom, mostly by telephone, um, which has been seemingly to be their preference. We've had a lot of telephone hearings with the court yeah. Ben and Rachel, the other attorney, have done um, um, several Zoom depositions. They did a Zoom mediation in which there were parties in three states and one foreign country. Um, so we, we've, we've really moved forward um, from that first week. We learn something new every day. You know, we try something, it doesn't work. We try something else. So that's where we are now. So Laird, what are, you're a sole practitioner. Did you need to move remotely? No, well, I mean, I didn't. So I don't know if I needed to. I don't know if I should have. But uh, <laughs> the most recent professional meeting I was at ended on March 5. And between March 5 and today, I have been in my office every day except Easter and this past Sunday. And the first few weeks um, when the, the state was shutting down, my assistant decided that she should stay home. And after maybe two, no more than three weeks of that, she was asking if she could come back to the office. You know, we, we don't see clients every day. We didn't pre-pandemic see clients every day. There are big, big stretches where we wouldn't have anybody in the office anyway. So that's no different. Um, we are not having very many, different from Sandy, we're not having very many substantive meetings with clients by telephone. 
I have found that Zoom and FaceTime is is so much better from my standpoint because I can can better um, interact with the client, feel like I understand what their questions are uh, better from that standpoint. And as Sandy you know, concluded her this part of her remarks, we're, we're innovating every day and, and we find a, an issue, we find what we need to do and then we, we deal with it. Um, this morning we had some folks come in, clients of a, of a friend up in Connecticut, they needed to sign some documents. We said, well, come in, we've got a large conference room, you stay on that end. They came in with masks and gloves. We passed papers around, had some pens. As soon as the meeting was over, they dispersed. We um, cleansed the pens. Um, my assistant um, told me that she has a process for uh, cleaning our, our writing utensils, and you know we got the documents signed. Um, so, so that's that's how we're uh, doing business, uh, Melissa. It's it's different, but it's not so different that it's problematic. Everything seems to be taking a little bit longer. Um, and on the probate administration side, getting judges to sign things. I haven't had any hearings like Sandy was describing, but we've opened new estates, frankly, with great speed. Um, the, the judges are being really quick. The clerk's offices are great. This whole e-filing, e-service thing that we started several years ago at this yeah, point has been yeah. huge in letting us work. And the one last barrier, you, you two both know I'm on the Florida Court Technology Commission, and so we 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 meet quarterly, we deal with a lot of those issues, and the one biggest remaining barrier has been judges being willing to accept orders electronically and to to be part of the integrated um, e-filing system. And I'll tell you, I think this pandemic is is helping resolve that, helping them get more familiar and more willing to use the electronic services that exist. That's a huge benefit. Yeah. I, there's no question that this pandemic has like laser focused the legal community on how we need to continue to be able to do the business of the courts and serve the public. I mean, that's what we're all about is serving the public. Um, but you made an interesting comment um, that I want to kind of divert to Sandy on, and that was that you people come in your office to sign documents. Sandy, you, you mentioned to me the other day when we were chatting about some adjustments that you have made to help get documents signed by clients. Well, we're not seeing as many clients in our office. They haven't wanted to do that, um, and we haven't felt comfortable bringing you know, enough people into our office to sign documents. So we decided very early on when we took a look at standard estate planning documents, which are advanced directives, including a durable power of attorney, a trust and a will, um, that there's only one of those documents that truly needs a notary, and that's the durable power of attorney. Um, it, we, you know, we resisted, but we decided to simplify our documents and um, a healthcare surrogate, a living will don't require notaries in Florida. So it means that they only have to have two witnesses. And um, if you leave the self-proof clause off the will, if you don't have real estate in your revocable trust, then you you don't have the, the issue of the notary. So we not only made that decision, though we do talk to the clients about it, and we explain to what that we explain to the client what that means. Um, we also changed our signature blocks, and every single blank in our document, whether it's a blank for a date or a signature or witness one, witness two, 
the witnesses address, we identify those blanks. So we've moved to a system giving our clients some very specific written instructions and walking them through the documents on how the documents will be signed. Um, and our clients have done a, a really good job of, you know, finding ways to get the documents signed with either family members, which aren't prohibited as long as you don't have two blood relatives for advanced directives, um, or neighbors, or taking them to the local pack and send, or in some instances, their banks will facilitate the signing. So, yeah. so, so far it's worked. I don't think it's gonna work for forever, but it's working in the short term. Laird, you, you relayed to me an interesting experience um, that you had with getting documents signed uh, over the weekend, I think it was. Would sure. you share that well, with the group? I'd be happy to. And and, and this was the, uh, not all that usual, but, you know, not a uh, uh, situation where a client was in a hospital, having some medical issues, ended up getting admitted to the hospital Friday night. And we had documents ready on Saturday and in pre-pandemic, I would have barged from the hospital, taken people with me and had them sign the documents as soon as the you know, nurses said he was good enough to, to, to uh, meet with me. Um, but of course, in today's world, we can't even think of getting close to the hospital and getting documents in. Uh, so again, back to the comment about trying to be innovative. Um, I, I know some people at the hospital foundation reached out to them. They were hugely accommodating. And one of the foundation um, employees who's allowed to enter the hospital came by my office Monday morning, picked up the documents. The documents all had, thanks to my assistant, the little sign here, notarize here, uh, tags on them. And she took them into the hospital. The nurses were willing to serve as witnesses. You know, a lot of times they would have previously. They were more than willing to serve as witnesses. The foundation employee was a notary. And I was on FaceTime. And on FaceTime, we had a discussion with the client. He was very alert, joked a little bit. I'm confident that he was um, well aware of, of the changes that were being made. And we proceeded with the execution with three people in the room with him. Um, we went ahead and, and did the self-proving. A lot of times I'm also leaving the self-proving off if I'm one of the witnesses, because I know to admit well, the probate, I know where I'm at and I can <laughs> sign the oath. With the nurses, I decided I'm not so sure. So I went ahead and had the self-proof stay on the will uh, because I had a notary there. And we got them all signed up. The client was thrilled. The family was very happy. And the, the hospital employees were a huge help. Well, I always say that the real estate practitioners will figure out a way to get it done. And now I'm going to include you probate people in that, too. <laughs> Because you figure out a way to get it done. Well, we 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 know lots of people who are using Laird related. One of his clients who set up a card table in the parking lot, and we've you know we know people who are doing sort of drive by signings from the automobile. So, um, but but I th hope that this is temporary, and that when July first comes and we have remote notaries, we can you know put that in you know offer that to, to so you're so you're going to use remote notaries for testing documents at this point later <laughs> I, as i as i mentioned read the, other the day, law read the as, law and then you're not going to want to <laughs> as i mentioned the other day i want to commend the fund because they're they have a lot of information on their website 
and they have a terrific course with a price point that everyone can afford. <laughs> so um, I went. I spent a Sunday last Sunday morning on the fun website taking the remote notary course just so I could learn as an estate practitioner how is this going to work. Um, yeah. And um, I I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> so and, and and to be clear. I'm not being critical of the remote notarization at all. I think that's a, a great thing. Real estate practitioners, if all you want is a document notarized, that's great. I'm concerned about the estate planning documents and the extra burden that's placed on either the uh, 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 service provider or the online notary. There's different places where different people have different responsibilities to ask different questions. And what you're supposed to do if a question's not answered properly, and those are all just in the estate planning context. Right. So, um, the, and, and to know that your documents are not valid if the person who's signing turns out to be determined later to be a vulnerable adult. Um, you know, vulnerable adults can have testamentary capacity, but you know, you're, you're placing um, uh, the, the validity of your document, of your estate planning documents uh, in question uh, because of the way the statute's written. Well, there's no doubt that there's a lot that we're all going to have to work through. And I think one thing that has been very apparent to me um, from, from the beginning of this, when we tried to get, help clients get documents signed remotely, is estate planners, it's, um, it, we, we see the signing, though it's important, we see it as sort of the last hurdle and the, and we spent weeks and sometimes months getting these documents right and getting them signed doesn't seem important. Now we see how difficult and how many documents are being signed, how important the sequencing is, you know, getting the right person in the right place, um, that, that that whole formality of signing is very difficult. So I, I agree with you. It's going to be challenging. And just to make sure that the audience understands what we're talking about, we've had the remote online notarization uh, bill um, effective as of January 1st of this year, but not with regard to wills and some estate planning documents. That effective date is July 1st. So uh, what Laird and Sandy are talking about is how their practices might or might not change once July 1st uh, kicks in. Because if you're primarily a real estate practitioner, the remote online notary law is hard enough to understand the ins and outs and what's permissible and what's not permissible. And you combine that with having to, to understand the technology aspect of it, which is a whole separate challenge when it comes to interacting with your clients. And I agree with both of you that the estate planning document aspect of this remote online notary bill is very complicated, very technical, and is yet to be tested. We've tested the basic law and the technology with the real estate people, but you know, I can't wait to see how you guys deal with it and you know how we adjust to it because it's 
it's very, very challenging. I would, uh, I appreciate the plug, Sandy. The, well, it was great. For the I, wrong course. It was such a good, it was such a good price. I took it twice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was a deal. What, what did you flunk the quiz? Yeah, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, I, I will say that, you know, um, before this, the, before this whole period, and while we were, while the legislation was moving through the process, I, I'm certainly as skeptical as Laird, and I think I would have never thought that I would have even contemplate using a remote online notary in my practice. But, uh, you know, in eight weeks or 10 weeks or however long we've, we've been at doing this, um, and I'm a paper person, you know, we we were very lucky. I, I count myself so lucky because about three years ago, one of my staff members came to me and said, we are not, the only documents we're scanning that we we're required to scan in our office was a completed estate plan. We would scan it and save it electronically, but we weren't scanning other documents. And she said, we should be scanning every piece of mail that comes in, every piece of mail that goes out. And I said, as long as I don't have to do the scanning, <laughs> no, we'll buy scanners for everybody. We started electronic files without a lot of discussion or, you know, thought about it. And, and it became very um, useful because we are physically the way our office is, is set up. It would mean that we're not running around looking for paper files. But when that day came and we were working remotely and I suddenly pulled up all the client files and everything I needed was right there. I said, oh, thank you to that person. You know? Yeah. Yeah, um, that hindsight. If I to do it, I, I, we probably would have, you know, been less successful. Well, I suspect that not everybody is in the same situation that you are, Sandy, and they're figuring that out. And that's, that is a big part of the challenge of working remotely. Um, and those people that did have digitized files probably definitely were a leap ahead than the rest of us. Um, one thing that I am curious about uh, as a result of this pandemic is whether you are seeing an increase in clientele wanting to get their estate plans done. Has the pandemic sort of, I don't know, scared people into wanting to get stuff signed? Sandy, go ahead. Um, I, I think we're very busy. I, I'm surprised at how busy we were. I think like everybody, we weren't sure that we weren't gonna have to lock the doors and turn off the phones. Um, and we have been extraordinarily busy. I, I think I mentioned that I've noticed an uptick in professionals and by that, I mean specifically lawyers. I have a lot of lawyers, mostly retired lawyers who suddenly contacted me and who've been moved from another state, you know, and are in Florida and never got around to reviewing their documents. Those people particularly are anxious to get their documents reviewed. So mm. we've seen mm. an uptick there. And Where? Melissa, I've had, I've had a few new clients who contact me saying, not that they're scared they're going to die from COVID-19, but they've got nothing else to do. And so now they're finally thinking about their estate plan. <laughs> and so, so we've done a couple of new estate plans because of that. I've not had a single existing client 
call me up and say, I've had something on my mind, I need to change it, and we need to do it now because of COVID-19. I have mm -hmm. clients who have been dragging their feet for months, and they continue to drag their feet. They, they, so, um, you know, it's, it's made a little bit of a difference. I have heard anecdotally for, from estate, planning, estate planners who have said that they've had a lot of people who call it a panic and they need to, to, to you know, get a estate plan in place. Maybe not the, quite the same limitation as Sandy was describing on mostly lawyers, uh, but I was talking to a lawyer um, who used to practice in New York City. He's working out of her home now in, um, in the surrounding area, and they've had a lot of people who have called up and new clients who have said, because of this, I'm doing my estate plan. Because of fear of dying, I'm doing my estate plan. Um, mm. But I haven't had it in Naples. That's really surprising to me. I don't know why. Now, I have not checked <laughs> that off my list, um, but I think it's because I've just got a whole lot to do. You know, I'm very, very busy. And so I just you haven't are. gotten around to that. <laughs> well, hopefully you have some estate plan. <laughs> oh, I do. It's just a little out of date. I now have a grandchild and that kind of thing. So <laughs> maybe I'll bump it up a little bit higher, but that would be after I go to the hair salon, if that's okay. <laughs> Um, have you been hearing about any increased concerns about undue influence or family members panicking about getting mama's estate plan done? It doesn't sound like you are, but I wondered about that. Not here. I haven't either, interestingly. Interesting. I, I, I did hear from a, a, a pretty high level firm that they are planning to re-execute all of their doc. This is what was said. All of their documents that are being done during this period of time. They're planning to re-execute all of them because of what they believe uh, to be less than best practices being uh, practiced right now. I'm. I haven't adopted that approach. I'm oh. interested in Sandy's reaction. Uh, I I thought of it, Laird, because you're you're supervising personally more of your documents than I am. So I have told clients that when, you know, when the situation resolves or calms down, that we will happily re-execute okay. um, any of their documents that they, they would, prefer, would like us to do. And will you change your signature blocks back to the way they were before? Or are you comfortable? Um, I'm comfortable that it's a prompt for me as the notary or whoever else in my office is the notary to get, get it right. So. Right, right. Okay. Interesting. So let's take the remaining two or three minutes that we have. Um, I know there's a lot to talk about from the Board of Governors level, but um, can you kind well, of give us... I want to make one comment. You you were talking about the you and Laird were talking about the courts. We had last I think it was last Friday, Laird. We had a board of governors meeting, and I and um, first of all, I want to comment on how the meeting transpired because I thought it was amazing. Um, we have fifty two members of the board of governors, and we often have additional twenty or thirty people in the room. So we had a Zoom call. Um, sometimes with as many as 80 people on the call. Um, we had executive sessions during the call, so we had to have people coming in and out. And we had lots of votes and debate during that Zoom session with 50 voting, 50 plus voting members. And I have to say, it worked amazingly well. 
Um, I was very focused. I was exhausted at the end. I, it's not like in a regular meeting where you can sort of wander around the room, you know? Um, so it worked well. And um, the other thing I wanted to comment, and, and I think Larry can finish, is that the Chief Justice spoke, <clears throat> addressed the group, and it was clear that the court, and he particularly, are committed to, you know, doing whatever is necessary to make sure that the courts of Florida are addressing the needs of its citizens and its lawyers. Excellent. And, and this isn't something that the court just started to think about. The Judicial Management Council that is created under the rules of judicial administration had been assigned about a year and a half ago. Uh, a, a group of us from that were assigned to uh, report to the, the court on remote access. Um, and, and that means for parties and for lawyers. And th there was a lot of thought that went into that. Staff was really uh, instrumental in outlining some some issues and some ideas. And so I think that that was a product that you know was immediately outdated when it was delivered on like March 18 um, at the first um, uh, JMC meeting that was held remotely. Uh, but it was still a good foundation. And the courts want to get this right, and they're working very hard from the highest level, Chief Justice Kennedy, down to the uh, voluntary courts, the, the um, drug courts, the veterans courts, trying to keep people engaged and trying to serve the citizens of Florida. So as a lawyer, I continue to be very proud um, to be a member of the Florida Bar and the good work that it does. And thank you to the fund for uh, putting this together. Sandy, it's good to always. Yeah. So uh, let me wrap up today and first thank uh, Sandy and Laird for uh, agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it and thank them for their service to the profession. And uh, so that concludes our uh, pop-up webinar for today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, again, you can get the audio content on our podcast, which is also called Title Now. So subscribe to that. And of course, above all, Thank you for your support of the fund.